The Writer Files, a member of the Podglomerate Network. I want to mention a great resource for writers, and this month's sponsor, Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, a DIY manual for the construction of stories. I'll expound later in the show, but the short version is this long-awaited book about the craft of creative writing from New York Times bestselling author Steve Almond sets out to debunk the well-meaning but misguided myths that hold us back from writing our deepest and most honest work. Pick up a copy today of Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, wherever you buy books, more soon. Greetings, scribes. I have got some exciting news to share. The Writer Files now has an exclusive Patreon community where subscribers will get exclusive access to uncut ad-free interviews, a writer's happy hour, bonus breakdowns, and content from productivity and publishing experts each month. In the meantime, just head over to patreon.com slash thewriterfiles. It's free to join Patreon to get a preview and you can upgrade anytime. That's patreon.com slash thewriterfiles. Help us start something special. I was listening to um, the author of Pineapple Street talk about Jenny, talk about how that book like came, like was inspired by, you know, her experience in the pandemic. And all she wanted to do was like write that as an escape. And I had a very opposite experience (laughs) where I could feel like no creative energy. There was like, I just, I felt completely sapped every day. Like so many of us did. I had two little kids that were homeschooling for like a really long time. The schools here in Toronto were closed like for months and months and months. And I just, yeah, I didn't, I felt, I just really struggled to like be able to focus on it, to find the time to write and like work through that revision cycle. But I, in hindsight, like I actually think that did in a way benefit me in a, in a strange way, because I, I think the book sort of does have this quality of like sort of this claustrophobic feel, you know, it is this, um, there's four families on a street, like, you know, two houses across from two houses. Um, and it has a sort of voyeuristic kind of quality to it, I hope for readers. And welcome back to The Writer Files. I am your humble host, Kelton Reed, wishing you pages, patience, and perseverance per usual. New York Times bestselling author Ashley Audrain spoke to me about giving herself permission to write shitty first drafts, writing in public, and her second novel, The Whispers. Ashley's debut novel, The Push, was a New York Times, Sunday Times of London, number one international bestseller, and a Good Morning America book club pick. It's sold in more than 40 territories, and a limited TV series is currently in development. Her latest, The Whispers, is described as a propulsive page-turner about four families whose lives are changed when the unthinkable happens, and what's lost when we give in to our own worst impulses. The New York Times Book Review wrote, Expertly, subtly, and powerfully rendered, The Whispers delivers a sucker punch ending you'll have to read twice to believe. And number one New York Times bestselling author Carly Fortune called it an electrifying razor-sharp page-turner. Ashley previously worked as the publicity director of Penguin Books Canada, and prior to that worked in public relations. In this file, Ashley and I discussed why she felt intimidated by writers while working in PR, how to write claustrophobic voyeuristic fiction, why she's drawn to the darker side of literature, tapping into the messiness of midlife ennui, how to escape your kids, and a lot more. Stay calm and write on. And don't forget, you can always support this show by heading to writerfiles.fm, where you can also sign up for email updates and other resources for writers. And if you're a fan of The Writer Files, please click follow 
to automatically see new interviews in your podcatcher as soon as they're published and drop us a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you tune in to help other writers find us. All right, we are back on The Writer Files, and I am honored today to be joined by an esteemed guest. We have the number one internationally and New York Times bestselling author, Ashley Audrain, is joining us. Thank you for taking the time to do this today. Oh, thanks, Kelton. I'm really happy to join you today. Thanks. Yeah, yeah. I understand that you are in Canada, or are you uh, visiting the States now? I am. I'm in Toronto, Canada right now. Yeah. Well, congrats on the latest, of course. Can't wait to talk about the whispers and um, all of the buzz surrounding them. But um, yeah, let's talk about your superhero origins a little bit. And <laughs> you got to this place in your um, really, really interesting career, because I understand that you were at one time the publicity director of Penguin Books in Canada. And um, yeah, it must have been kind of a whirlwind over the last couple of years. Obviously, we've gone through a pandemic and you had <laughs> um, this fantastic uh, debut hit the push that everyone seems to have on their nightstand or, or did. Um, but yeah, let's talk about your career and, and kind of this really interesting path to bestseller. That's right. I didn't, I did not start out as a writer or an aspiring writer. Um, I feel like I came to this a bit later in life, but, um, I worked in public relations for like all of my career for most of my career before this. Um, at PR agencies, um, and then as publicity director at Penguin Canada, as you mentioned, um, for a couple of years. And I, I, the reason I had changed over from you know, working in the agency world with kind of consumer brands to working in publishing was because I, like, I, I had always just loved writing and reading and authors and the world of books. Um, sort of something I sort of did in my spare time, you know, like taking writing courses at the community college at night or on weekends. And just the idea of being able to work so closely in that world was like really thrilling <laughs> to me. Um, I just, I loved it and found so much meaning in it and really stopped writing while I was working at Penguin. Like I, I sort of put that to the side and I think I, you know, was sort of not, not so consciously, but I think I was just probably pretty intimidated. Like, I think I sort of felt like, no, I am the person who promotes the books, not the person who writes the books. Um, so really focused on that, you know, for a couple of years and then, yeah. And then I, I'd gone on maternity leave. I had my first child, I had my son, um, and he ended up having some health problems and spent like a lot of time in the hospital and had some kind of more complex sort of needs associated with that. And I realized that like I what I just couldn't wrap my head around like going back to work in the same capacity that I had been in before. Um, it just wasn't gonna be possible. And so I thought, okay, like if I'm going to sort of give that up and you know, stay home with him and and deal with all of this, like the one thing I am gonna do is the thing I have always wanted to do, <laughs> which is to try to write a book. Um, and I think kind of having that space from like, you know, leaving publishing and leaving publicity and leaving that former life behind was a bit of permission to sort of try something different. And I, I think I probably needed that sort of space in order to, to try to write. And so I started writing The Push when he was like six months old and and uh, it all kind of happened from there. <laughs> so Amazing. Yeah. And what a, what a whirlwind it's been. Um, but um, yeah, I mean, talk a little bit about kind of the elation and also the um, frustration that kind of uh, uh, came with that um, interesting time because, you know, you've talked about how the pandemic, um, you know, affected your writing. And then, of course, um, you know, the push 
was somewhat inspired by some of the experiences that you were having as a mom. But yeah, and talk talk if you can about kind of how these things kind of went together and and mm. and led to the whispers and and this really really new interesting um, psychological suspense that we're going to talk about. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, I had I had like the early ideas for the whisper for the whispers um, at the time that I had sold the push, like the 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 push sold in this two book deal, and so I had this second idea. Um, but it was like, you know, uh, notes on a page, <laughs> like it was not, not, not fully fleshed out yet, or I hadn't started drafting it. Um, and then I started, I did start drafting the whispers though, while I was waiting for the push to come out, there was like, you know, 18 months between the time that like that, that book sold to the time it came out. Um, and so that, that was a good period of time to kind of like, you know, do the very bad first draft that everybody talks about, mm. um, which I was able to get done then. Which, which was good, like in hindsight, sort of, you know, before you have the voices of everyone's feedback on a book and before it's in readers' hands, like, you know, to be able to start at least that the first draft of the next book was a gift <laughs> for sure. But yeah, the, I, for me, like, you know, a, a lot of writers, like all of the work of a book is really in the revision. It's in like what you do with that first bad draft. And that all happened during the pandemic, which was really hard. Yeah. Like I found that, I mean, I, I, I love actually hearing, um, I was listening to, um, the author of pineapple street, talk about Jenny, talk about how that book like came, like was inspired by, you know, her experience in the pandemic. And all she wanted to do was like write that as an escape. And I had a very opposite experience where I could feel like no creative energy. There was like, I just, I felt completely sapped every day. Like so many of us did. I had two little kids that were homeschooling for like a really long time. The schools here in Toronto were closed like for months and months and months. And I just, yeah, I didn't, I felt, I just really struggled to like be able to focus on it, to find the time to write and like work through that revision cycle. But I, in hindsight, like I actually think that did in a way benefit me in a, in a strange way, because I, I think the book sort of does have this quality of like sort of this claustrophobic feel, you know, it is this, mm -hmm. um, there's four families on a street, like, you know, two houses across from two houses. Um, and it has a sort of voyeuristic kind of quality to it, I hope for readers. And I think that's sort of what we were in, you know, in the pandemic, like we were all sort of only our worlds were only as big as like the houses we could see outside of our window for so long, you know? And I think so many of us kind of like built relationships or had new relationships with neighbors or the people that were like just in close proximity to us. Like that was our yeah. world. Um, and that, I think that quality does like, sort of show up in this book, you know, the sense that we're all kind of watching each other and in each other's business. And, <laughs> you know, that's sort of, um, you know, that, that can be a good and a bad thing, but yeah. So I think, I think in the end, um, there's, there's a, a real quality to the book that was probably inspired by that time. Yeah. Earlier in the show, I mentioned an invaluable resource for writers. Truth is the arrow, mercy is the bow, a DIY manual for the construction of stories based on three decades of writing, failing, and trying again. Author Steve Almond is a beloved professor at Harvard and Wesleyan and the acclaimed New York Times bestseller of 12 books of fiction and nonfiction. And in Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, Steve employs the radical empathy he displayed as a co-host of the Dear Sugars podcast with Cheryl Strayed, where they explored the joys and trials of storytelling to explode myths that hold us back from writing our deepest and truest work. The book includes chapters on plot, character, and chronology, but travels far beyond the earnest intentions of most craft books. It also includes writing prompts to generate new work. Pulitzer Prize-winning author Richard Russo called it one of the best books on writing he's ever read, and also the funniest. 
Pick up a copy of Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, a DIY manual for the construction of stories wherever you buy books and add it to your TBR today. And just a quick aside to revisit the exclusive Writer Files Patreon community where subscribers get access to uncut ad-free interviews, a writer's happy hour, bonus breakdowns, and a lot more. I know that for serious writers, it can be more distracting than ever to cut through the noise, stay productive, and home in on what's happening in the publishing industry. Over eight years, we've provided a looking glass into the habits of professional writers and publishing industry insiders. And as your humble host, I've decided to launch a membership-based Patreon for serious scribes to cut through the noise, swap tips and tricks, and hang out with like-minded peers. Just head over to patreon.com slash the writer files for bonus writing resources, monthly episode breakdowns, writer's happy hour, a community of your peers, ad-free episodes, and more. It's free to join to get a preview and you can upgrade anytime. That's patreon.com slash the writer files. Help us start something cool and special. Keep calm and write on. Well, yeah, I mean, congrats on the latest. Um, some fantastic buzz and your, your peers kind of came out of the woodwork to, mm. to blurb it. Quite a few of them have been on this show. Um, yeah. Most recently, mm-hmm. Carly Fortune. Um, yes, she's so called great. It, yeah, an electrifying, razor sharp page turner. And of course, um, some really great reviews. But, but uh, essentially, um, described as a propulsive page turner about four families whose lives are changed when the unthinkable happens and what is lost when we give in to our own worst impulses. But there's really so much more going on here. And of course, we're not going to do any, any spoilers here, but but a lot of what you are exploring in these themes um, that kind of run through both the push and the whispers is, um, you know, you're, you're talking about kind of the dark side of of uh, parenthood, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think, I thought one of the interesting things that the New York Times Book Review had, had brought up was that this should be required reading, <laughs> like, you know, f- for dads too. I mean, because... Yeah. In truth, like I've felt a lot of these, these, um, you know, uh, misgivings and, and, you know, questioning, you know, what, like, am I a good parent or, um, you know, how, what are these other, how are these other parents doing it, uh, with such a, you know, with such a, like a, um, a positive attitude when, when a lot of days, especially as you, as you mentioned, like during the pandemic, we were all just kind of like, um, locked up and, and dealing mm. with a lot of Parent, parenting at our worst <laughs> dystopic parenting. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, talk a little bit more about the kind of the more of the depth of what, you know, what, what a lot of us face is just like how to deal with like the midlife dip. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I really wanted to write about that. It's perfectly put the midlife dip is <laughs> exactly how it feels. And I think like I've recently turned 40 and like all my friends are, you know, with like now at that stage in life. And I feel it's such an interesting stage of life. I think for, for men and women, like it's, and I think like historically we sort of would talk about or think about this idea of like the male midlife crisis, right. Which is like sort of the boomer generation definition or concept of what that <laughs> looks like. Right. But our midlife in this generation, like for you and I is so different, right? Like we are in an entirely different time and it feels completely different, you know, than it did for our parents. Um, for so many reasons, um, there've been some like really brilliant examinations of this. It's, it, I think it's part of the reason I love Fleischman is in trouble so much, <laughs> you know, the, mm. the book and the TV show. Mm-hmm. Um, cause I think, I think they just take such a smart look at it, but 
but yeah, it's like our, our generate, like we are not nearly as, you know, financially secure as generations before us. And that really is a huge factor that really limits a lot of options in our lives and a lot of choices we can make, makes life feel very different. And we're also, for the most part, like we're having kids so much later than the generations before us. Like there are many friends that I have in their early forties that are like have babies or just starting their family. Um, and that was just not the case before. And so that just the dynamic of a family, the dynamic of a marriage, the dynamic of like career at that point, it is all totally different. Um, and so I think our midlife is less of this sort of stereotypical, like, you know, the, the idea that we all have and we think of like a male midlife crisis and buying the sports car and like piecing out, you know, is like, <laughs> that's not happening. It's not happening in this generation. Instead, I think it's like a real emotional, you know, reckoning with who we are in the world. Like, did I, is this where I thought I would be at the midpoint in my life? Like, how did I get here? You know, and where is there left to go? And the window of opportunity really feels like it starts to close at this point in life, you know, um, for a lot of people, you know, for a lot of reasons that I've mentioned. And so, yeah, it's just, I think it's like a real deep soul searching time, you know, but, but we don't have a lot, there's not, I think a lot of people feel like there's not a lot of option to do anything about it. And I really wanted to give these characters that conflict, like each in a different way where, you know, they've, these women have made the decisions they've made, you know, they're, they're living with the choices that they made in their twenties and thirties. Um, they feel like overwhelmingly responsible for every person in their life. And, um, it's really hard to like make a change. It's hard to make a change when you're not happy. It's hard to even put your finger on what the problem is. Um, mm. and I think that that's the core, uh, that's at the core for a lot of these women and the men too. Like it is, obviously we just get the voices of four women, but we, you know, we meet their husbands too. We see, we see the conflicts their partners are having as well. Again, congrats on the work and, and the reception has been really, really great to see. And again, your peers came out of the woodwork and, um, I won't read all the blurs, but I thought the publishers weekly, uh, in a start review had said um, about the book, Audrain takes a deep dive into the secret lives of women and the standout work of literary suspense. Do you describe it as literary suspense? How do you, how do you describe your oh, own work? Because you know, sometimes we want to put these books in a box in the bookstore, but in truth, like so many authors describe their books differently from, you know, how, how the critics mm -hmm. or how the, you know, how um, Amazon describes it. Yeah, that's a great question. I, you know, I, this came up a lot with the push too, because I didn't, you know, I can honestly say that when I set out to write that book, um, I didn't, wasn't planning on writing any kind of thriller. <laughs> like it was like, that was not sort of my intent. Um, but that's what the book sort of became. And, you know, I, I probably was sort of subconsciously, you know, influenced by a lot of the books at that time that were that we were all reading, like that was the time of the explosion of domestic suspense, you know, that was like the, you know, the girl on the train was just coming out, gone girl, like that a lot of us were reading that. And so I'm sure that I think probably did like influence, but um, I actually was just talking to last night to Nita Prose, the author of The Maid. Um, we did an mm -hmm. event together um, for launch night. And um, in, in that conversation, I sort of realized, like she had sort of asked about sort of reading influence. And I sort of realized that like, I, I, I never read like a thriller or a mystery, um, before I started working in publishing. Like I just, I, I wasn't a person who like grew up on that kind of fiction or was drawn to that. I was always drawn to darker literary stuff. Um, like I wanted to read about the lives of women I wanted to read about sort of the darker truths and sort of messy, you know, the messiness. Um, and those were like, I, I feel like, um, 
you know, in my teens and twenties, I wanted to read like the Oprah picks, you know, that was like the kind of book that I really wanted to read. Um, not, not so much anything in this space. Of course, this space has changed, you know, so much in the last 10 years, but, um, but yeah, I think when I do, I, you know, I guess what I would say is I, I hope that it has thriller like or suspense like quality in a sense that I think as a writer for me, like I, I really want to give the reader that experience of like, I cannot put this book down. Like I want another chapter. I'm not like, you know, wanting to really be immersed in it. Um, I tend to write sort of shorter chapters and I, I, I always, I want, I aim to kind of establish that sort of pace, like that kind of engrossing pace. So I think that speaks to, to that and to try to uncover sort of, you know, the why of something like why not, not necessarily like what has happened in the book, but like, why has this happened or why is the character doing this or feeling this way? Um, so I think it, I think, yeah, I'm, I'm very happy when someone describes it that way, because to me, that means they just wanted to keep turning the page (laughs) at the end of the day. Yeah. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. I thought the star, the Toronto star we're talking about, Mm. um, had a nice subhead. They said, secrets come to light, lies are revealed, deceptions unfold, all with the delicate, cold grace of a scalpel sliding (laughs) through flesh. (laughs) That's some good writing. I thought so too. I know he's just such a great critic here in Toronto and I was really, really (laughs) pleased with that. Yeah, it's, it's, it was it's deep. (laughs) Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Well, talk, I mean, talk a little bit about your process and, and we don't have a ton of time here, but I'd love to just kind of, if you could describe for us like your best writing day, kind of when you're in the thick of it, um, what that looks and and feels like for you. Oh, sure. Yeah. Um, well, so my, I would say like my regular sort of writing routine, which is not necessarily always the best day of writing is, um, is really like now thank God, thank God that my kids are in school full time. Um, mm-hmm. They're age five and age eight, so we're finally in this flow of them kind of being there all day and freeing up that th- that space between kind of drop off and pick up, you know, to to write to work, which I love to do. Mm. So I usually will drop them off, you know, in the morning and head straight to a coffee shop or the library. Um, I really love to write like in public spaces um, where there's you know ambient noise and eavesdropping and you know hot coffee or tea and all of that. So. Um, I'm, I'm usually out out somewhere writing in the morning, um, which I find sort of I can find most focus then, um, and then sort of dealing with other stuff in the afternoon. But but what I've been started sort of started doing in the pandemic, um, and and then will continue hopefully continue is 
I just feel like because like as a mom with like two young kids and there's just so much going on all the time, um, I love to just pick and, and, and very lucky to be able to do this, but like to pick a couple days, like every once in a while and just go and write for the weekend somewhere. Um, and that to me is like what I need to do when I need like a kickstart, you know, when you mm. sort of need, like you're stuck on something or if I'm about to head into a big revision or if I need to finish something off. Um, if I like completely remove myself from like the daily routine, um, and go elsewhere, like even just to like, like, you know, a hotel or an inn, like an hour outside of the city or whatever, that, that to me is like enough to like sink into the book in a different way or like change the sort of the lens that I'm looking at something. Um, and then just get really lost in it, you know, be able to like write late at night and write early in the morning and go for a walk when stuck. And that, that to me is like this really precious time if I'm lucky to get it. <laughs> um, that really is like this boost um, to the writing routine when I need it. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That sounds like a, a nice escape um, <laughs> from, the, from the daily grind. It really is. Yeah. Just kind of, um, I'm, I'm out of here. <laughs> Taking my laptop <laughs> and disappearing for two days. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. Well, I know you're in the thick of um, promoting the latest and getting out there and and it it must be thrilling to also get to meet some readers. And did you, did you get a tour for the push? No, I didn't. So the the push was really, it came out January, 2021. And so everything was from the kitchen table, zoom screen. (laughs) And there, there was no interaction. I, there wasn't like bookstores weren't open. There was really nothing. So this feels quite different this time, which is really nice. That's exciting. must be cool. And, um, I bet you're going to be surprised by the by the out uh the turnout oh that's nice uh, folks would probably, probably want to talk to you about both books now right yeah that would be really nice it really would be yeah i'm looking forward to having that like face-to-face interaction with readers i mean it was it, w- it was great online too really because i was able to zoom into a lot of book clubs and like people mm. were so generous with like messaging and you know sending emails and stuff which was which was its own which you know was, i don't know that that i don't think would have happened as much if we you know weren't in the pandemic at that time so there was a different kind of online connection but i am looking forward to like you know signing a book and chatting with a reader will be really nice yeah yeah cool um well um before we wrap up here with a fun question and some inspiration um i did want to ask what you are working on presently Oh yeah, so I am. I am working away. I'm sort of pausing right now for for the Whispers um, publication, but yeah, I'm working on another book, and I can't say anything about it yet, of course, which is always the annoying answer authors give. But <laughs> um, but I'm really ex- I'm really really excited about it, and uh, yeah, I'm I'm excited to get back into it soon. Excellent, good to hear. All right, we, we're we're expecting a third. Um, I of course will point <laughs> at your home base there, uh, where listeners and readers can. Um, connect with you and you're on the socials there ashleyaudrain.com and the latest the whispers um yeah congrats so uh yeah if i'll just ask you a fun one if you could have dinner with any author from any era to your favorite spot in the world or just drinks um Mm -hmm. who would you take and where would you take them all expenses paid of course oh i i would probably that's a tough choice i but i i think being being the Canadian writer I am, I'd probably have to go with Alice Munro. Uh, who, yeah, I just think that would be special, really special, and too good of an opportunity to pass up. <laughs> yeah, so I, uh, I probably, I'd probably pick Alice Munro. And where would we go? I don't know. There's, um, you know, there's a great bar here in Toronto at the top. I don't know if Alice Munro is in for a drink, but I'm assuming. <laughs> <laughs> but there's a great, there's a really great bar called the Writers Room um, in Toronto at the top of the Park Hyatt, and maybe, maybe we could go there. <laughs> 
<laughs> oh, nice. Yeah. nice. It sounds like you've been there before. You've uh, logged I some have. hours there. I have, yes. Yep. <laughs> Are only writers allowed to drink there? <laughs> you know, I don't know. I, <laughs> I've definitely been there with non-writers, but it's, there's an extra special feeling when you're actually a writer in the room. <laughs> yeah. All right. All right. Uh, what are you drinking? Um, oh, I think I would, I would go with whatever Alice wanted. I would take her. All, right. <laughs> yeah. All right, cool. I'm, I'm just going to say martinis. <laughs> yeah, that feels right. That does feel right. Perfect. All right. Martinis with Alice. Um, cool. Uh, yeah. So before we, um, pop off here, I know you got to get going. Just any, um, writerly advice or wisdom on how to persevere. Mm, you know, this is my favorite writing advice and I, I, feel like it is very applicable to, to the books that I've written. Um, and it's a bit, it, I, I, I don't want it to come across as being insensitive, but I really hold on to the advice to write like your parents are dead. And I feel like there that the sentiment of that being like, you have to just write the book you want to write. You have to just put it on the page and let yourself feel vulnerable and sort of go there and not worry about how, you know, your writing is going to be perceived or how a book will be perceived. Um, it's a really hard thing to do, but I think when you can get that, you know, when you can feel that, um, for me, at least that's where the best kind of <laughs> the best stuff comes from is taking, taking away that sort of inhibition. Um, mm -hmm. so yeah, I think it's something for writers to think about. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Um, I mean, obviously not the idea of your parents being dead, but, uh, the, the just the kind of the idea of uh, letting yourself be vulnerable and not mm -hmm. not thinking about what someone, especially someone close to you, like a family member, might judge you or, or feel about your work. When in truth, um, yeah, that's really what you've done here. And uh, with your work, congratulations. We wish you the best of luck, and and definitely pop back in anytime. Uh, talk with us in the future. Oh well, thanks, Kelton. This is great, and I really enjoy your podcast. You do such a good job, and yeah, it's a pleasure to be here. Thank you. Thanks so much for joining us for this file. And if you're a fan of the show, simply head over to writerfiles.fm for more. That's writerfiles.fm. <laughs>